This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick, who you heard in the last segment asking if he's got a show to come back to, to which Elliot Friedman said, no, he's running it into the ditch. Unsurprising from Elliot Friedman. But we stay in Florida. It's a Florida-heavy show today, actually. Everybody's in Florida but me, Lance. What's going on here? I could use a vacation. A lot of us could use a vacation. Uh, George Richards from Florida Hockey now joining me on the show. And and George, um, listen, uh, the 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 All Star Game in Florida. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. What what exactly does this mean for the organization after a successful year last year to have the All Star Game uh, for the first time in in twenty years? Yeah, you know what? It's been pretty neat. Uh, you know, they've had a couple uh, team friendly events. Uh, Tuesday in Sunrise, you know, not far from their arena, and last night at their training facility uh, out in the Everglades and Coral Springs and gigantic crowds for them. So, um, and, and, you know, not just the diehards that we see, you know, a lot of the different things. It was, you know, pretty pretty good group of kids and adults and, and, you know, people just having fun with the hockey and seeing the Stanley Cup and all the stuff that goes along with these events and, um, it's so far, I mean, it's today's Thursday and it's been successful already for the Florida Panthers. You know, I, I saw some, I saw some videos, um, from the alumni game and, and what, what is the alumni involvement like with the organization in, in and around the city? Because I mean, a lot of, for good reason, a lot of players that played there end up settling there. How, how involved yeah. are a bunch of the alumni? Cause it does feel like they're, they are involved. Well, to an extent, I think the Panthers, you know, would like more, but I think the the alumni here would like more from the Panthers. I think that, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's one of those situations where neither side seems to work real well together uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. I mean, it's not like, you know, what you see in Buffalo and other cities where the, where the alumni and the team go hand in hand. Uh, Sometimes the, the the two sides here, you know, are at arm's length. I don't know why, but you do have a lot of ex players here, very active in, in the in the youth uh, hockey. Uh, you've got Ray Shepard, uh, you know, one of the heroes of the '96 team, is one of the leading youth coaches down here. Um, uh, you know, you've got uh, you know um, uh, Thomas Vokun. And Radek Dvorak are very active in the youth hockey scene. Peter Worrell um, is, is extremely active and, and leads the Panthers Youth Initiative. And you know, a lot of the a lot of the alumni do gather. You know, at a game, I believe the Panthers have a have a suite for them, and you know, they come to the games and stuff. But um, I'm sure that you know, after an event like last night, this is the first you know alumni event they've had like that in a long time. Uh, maybe uh, something like that. You know, has has been warmed up a little bit. George Richards from Florida Hockey now joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Okay, on to on to the Panthers, and I know it's not been a pretty season. And like, is there is there a worry that they could miss the chance to capitalize on previous successes if they don't make the playoffs? Like last season, you know, they were great in the regular season. They they win in the first round. They flame out against Tampa, but there was an opportunity to kind of build on that. And, for my money, I thought bringing in Paul Maurice and Matthew Kachuk was going to make a big difference, but it hasn't worked out quite the way anybody had kind of expected. Is there a worry about kind of missing out on this window? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think any time um, you, you've got a team that had the regular season success that the Panthers did last year, um, you know, historical regular season, and then, like you say, the flame out in, in round two against Tampa Bay, Um and then you, and then you know now you're three points out of the playoffs. You know Pittsburgh's got game in hands on you. Yeah, it's a, it's a big worry. Uh, but the Panthers, you know, feel like they've got 30 games left. Most of those games are here at home in Sunrise. Uh, the schedule lightens up for them. They've still got some, you know, a lot of games against teams in the playoffs right now. So it's not like it's an easy road. But they feel like they've got enough real estate here to to make it up. 
Um, they've got teams they've got to overcome. You've got the Islanders in front of them now. You've got the Sabers who you know at, you know before last night were red hot. So um, it's a big challenge for the Panthers. And um, you know if they don't play well in these last thirty, yeah, that's a, that's you know a lost opportunity. But if they give it a pretty good run here, um, that'll create excitement and and you know right there. So. With all that being said, and, and like you mentioned, they have some runway. There is the there's the question of the roster. And, you know, I we'll get to the the loss of Mackenzie Weger in a in a bit, but I mean, they've traded away a lot of assets. Their their first that they traded to Montreal um could end up being a lottery pick if they don't make the playoffs. Like, how deep are they willing to go to make a move? Like I, I the two guys that come up for me in conversation is the two Sams, Reinhardt and and Bennett. Are they willing to go there to better round out their roster? Or do you believe those guys are part of the solution for this season anyway? I, I think I think both players are part of the solution. They really like Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhart. Um, I'm sure that there are internal you know, discussions between Bill Zito and his hockey operations department on what's next. I mean, you have to look forward, and they're always looking forward. They made that Matthew Kachuk trade looking ahead, not for this year, because you lost out on two good players in Huberdeau and, and Mackenzie Weger uh, to get one. So you weren't looking necessarily at this year. You're looking down the road, and I think you've got to look at you know, Sam Reinhardt has one year left on his deal um, after this. Um, it, it, is he going to resign here? How much is he going to want? How much are you willing to pay? I think that plays into it. Um, as far as this year, yeah, no, they want to keep those guys. They want to keep, they, you know, I think they want to resign both players, even though, you know, Bennett's got two years, I believe. So, um, you know, it's all going to come down to that kind of thing. And, and and right now, you know, the Panthers are not going to be players at, at the trade deadline because they have no cap room. They've got no, you know, assets, really. They, they don't even have second-round picks moving forward. Uh, you know, everybody talks about the first-round picks, but I think they've only got one second-round pick for the next three years. So um, they've got to deal with that. So, um, I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do, but, you know, I, I think that they're looking down the road, not just for the next 30 games. We mentioned the the Matthew Kachuk trade, and I mean, listen, he's been he's been as advertised, if not better. There's no surprise there. He's one of the best players in the league. I'm I'm not surprised that he's been a great fit with the club, but you know, at that expense was the loss of Mackenzie Weger, and and what kind of an impact has that had on Aaron Ekblad this year? It, well, you know, Aaron Ekblad's been injured. I mean, Aaron Ekblad's been playing through through some things, but he and he and Mackenzie Weger were a terrific combination, and I think that has definitely had an effect um, on Aaron Ekblad's game because you, they they had that rhythm. They were they were a very cohesive defensive pairing. Um, and, and you know, listen, the Panthers didn't want to give up Mackenzie Weger, but to make the money work, um, you know, it was almost perfect. You know, uh, Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger made exactly what they gave Matthew Kachuk. And for a team that um, was so close to the cap and over the cap, really, um, you know, you had to make the money work and you had to give, you know, you obviously had to give Calgary something. So um, they didn't want to give up Mackenzie Weger, that's for sure. Um, and, and they made moves in free agency thinking Mackenzie Weger was going to be on this team because, you know, don't forget the Kachuk thing came down two weeks after free agency. So um, the Panthers, you know, well, you know, when the Panthers were making free agency signings, they did not know that they were going to have Matthew Kachuk on their team. So um, they went into, they went into that with a different mindset. So, you know, it, it's been, you know, it, it's, it, it's been a little bit of a battle for the Panthers, no doubt. You know, you look at their blue line, that was a question mark coming into the season. Um, they, they found a little bit of a gem in Josh Mahura, who was, uh, who was waived by Anaheim and pa- the Panthers snapped him up and he's been a very good player. Um, you know, uh, Radko Gudis has been really good this year. Uh, Gus Forsling, terrific. Um, so they have had some gems, but they're not very deep defensively. And, uh, you know, obviously, Mackenzie Weger would have been a great help to them, but you know, when you're when you're looking at a big time trade like they made, you know, you have to give something up. Now you mentioned the the defense and and part of part of having a good defense is also having a good goalie. And and while I don't uh I don't think that Paul Maurice is a bad coach, I, I think that a lot of what's going on, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is it's hard to coach sometimes when you can't get a save and they're not yeah. getting very many saves right now between Spencer Knight and Sergei Bobrovsky. 
Well, when you look at the Panthers in November and December, um, the goaltending was 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 not optimal. I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky in November was just terrible. Um, like, not even you were like, this isn't even NHL goaltending. Now that was only for a couple weeks, and 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 Spencer Knight came in and took over and, and did a pretty good job. Um, Lately, the goaltending's been okay. I mean, the last two weeks, it's been, you know, Alex Lyon, uh, the Panthers' AHL goalie, has been carrying the load. They believe he made six straight starts for the Panthers with both Bobrovsky and Knight out. So the Panthers came out of that okay. Again, only three points out of the wild card. They should have Bobrovsky and Knight ready to go um, when things kick off here Monday against Tampa Bay. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the goaltending has not been been optimal throughout the year. How much of the... Focus has been on Paul Maurice throughout all of this because, like I mentioned, it's it's hard to it's hard to be a, a really good, like they always yeah. say, show me a good show me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach. Um, he's not gotten that, but in his first year, how would you how would you look at the way the team has performed as opposed to how they performed under Andrew Burnett last year? Well, I mean, completely different teams, completely different styles. I mean, last year's team just flew through the zone, um, you know you know, was, was willing to win a game seven, six, you know, the Panthers don't want to do that. Even though some of their games have been seven, six this year, as we've seen, um, you know, it's just been, you know, yeah, yeah. Paul Maurice has definitely taken the blame because, you know, fans look at a, a team that won the president's trophy, uh, scored more goals than any team in 30 years um, in the NHL last year to, th- to this team that right now that's minus five in scoring differential. I mean, it, it, it's just been a very stark contrast. And then what was, what was one of the changes? Well, behind the bench. And so, you know, that's obviously going to take a lot of blame and listen, Paul Maurice knew that coming in the door. One of the first things we talked about when he got hired was this year is going to be different. This year is not going to be this previous season. And I'm going to take the blame for it. I don't care. I can take it. We're going to stay the course. We're going to try and do things the way we want to do things and get this thing right to where they don't flame out in the playoffs. Um, of course, people have taken that quote and run with it because, you know, to, to, to be in the, you know, have a good playoff game, you need to be on the playoffs and they're not there. So, and he understands that too. So I think he's, you know, trying to get this, this thing on track and there've been a lot of obstacles in the way uh, throughout. Uh, one more before we let you go here, George. Uh, Anthony Duclair, uh, do we expect mm-hmm. him back in short order? And what kind of what kind of a bump does that give the Panthers, especially on offense? I, I think it gives them a big offensive, uh, you know, a big offensive help. His speed is terrific. We'll see how how slowed he's been. Uh, obviously, an Achilles is something that affects your 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 skating and your speed. Um, but by all reports, he's looked great in, in 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 the little bit of practice that he's been in. He's been in non-contact. I don't know if they'll send him to Charlotte to get a couple games or not. Um, but I would think, you know, sometime in February he'll be back. You know, in the lineup. And uh, and certainly certainly a player that that they could use right now. Um, I love watching Anthony Duclair, and, and a, as a guy that bet on himself, I'm I'm very happy uh, that he's going to be back on the ice in short order. Listen, George, uh, you've been grateful, uh, great, very gracious with your time. Appreciate it, and enjoy the weekend. Have fun. Yeah, going to going to the beach right now. Oh, you dog, <laughs> you dog. While we sit here in the snow, uh, there he goes, George Richards from Florida Hockey now. Uh, covering the Florida Panthers, of course. And one of those teams that I really thought was going to be better off. I mean, yes, they lost Mackenzie Weger, and I understand that that's a big loss, but they added Matthew Kuchuk. I really thought that defensively they were going to be a lot better with Paul Maurice, and it's just it's just not worked out that way for the Panthers. It's it's been a, It's been a grind, and... I mean, when we look at the move that the Islanders made to bring in Bo Horvat as one of the teams that was on the outside looking in, we look at the potential moves that maybe the Panther, the, the sorry, the Penguins and the Capitals can make to try and get into the playoffs. I just I find it really hard to see a path for the Panthers to get into the playoffs without making a move of any significance. And frankly, I don't think that they can do that. They just they just do not have the assets to make any big deal work, especially if they want to acquire a defenseman because. We know what average defensemen go for at the trade deadline. It's it's not it's not cheap, and they just don't have those assets. Like, could you imagine if Florida doesn't make the playoffs, and that pick that Montreal has 
ends up being a really good one in a Ben Sherratt deal. Like nothing against Ben Sherratt, but I mean, that was a that was a hefty price to pay. And so the Flor- the Florida Panthers, they've made their bed and now they shall sleep in it. They're outside of the playoff picture and they've got some teams to jump just to get in. Let's not forget the Buffalo Sabres are in that conversation as well. The Eastern Conference playoff race is going to be absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much to George Richards for joining me. When we come back, random player of the day. And this one, like I said, yesterday's was fun. This one, absolutely next level. Gord Stellick will join me, uh, host of Leafs Nation pre and post game and host of and co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network. He will also join me for that. And he's got an interesting story or two about our random player of the day. Ben Goats will join me at the bottom of the next hour. Talk about Mark Stone's injury and where that leaves the Vegas Golden Knights. This is the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network and watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. And we'll get to the random player of the day and uh, and our guest, Gord Selleck, in just a second. But wanted to send some best wishes to uh, a colleague of ours, their father, uh, Mike Feuda's father, John, uh, had surgery yesterday. So we're wishing John all the best um, as he recovers. So all the best to John and the rest of the Feuda family. Uh, Mike, we know we love you over here. So just wanted to get that out there. Uh, Gord Stelic co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post, as well as the co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining me on the show. Gordy, how are you? Matt, Matt, and first of all, I, uh, I extend the best wishes as well, but Matt, I've, hit, I've made the big time again. I'm sitting here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, beautiful sunshine, like 85 degrees, getting set for media day, NHL All-Star Weekend. Uh, life could not be any better in El Gordo world. Oh, you're killing me. Everybody, you know, everybody Sorry. that I've had on the show today is in Florida. Well, you, you, your, your string's intact now. That's good. <laughs> yeah. the old ben Goats is my next guest, and he's going to break it, cause, but he's in Vegas. So, I mean, it's six okay. of one, half dozen of another. I'm getting killed over here. Um, okay, I wanted to get to this, our random player of the day, and you and I kind of briefly chatted about this before, and it is a former second-round pick, Link Gates. And this one submitted by Paul Fitzmorris. And I just wanted to get some stats out of the way here because when we talk about Link Gates, I mean, Gord, 527 games across major junior professional and semi-professional hockey. He accumulated 3,163 penalty minutes. He had 17 fights in 65 NHL games. The fight card includes Bob Probert, Mike Peluso, Joey Kosher, and the arguably one of the greatest things ever was um, Link Gates's draft day picture, which features him with two black eyes, from a fight from a in a bar the night before. And now you were the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time. Um, what do you remember about the player and that draft specifically? Sorry, he wasn't a finesse player? <laughs> well, I, listen, I was told he had a skill set, but he just couldn't put it together because of other issues. Gosh, you know, I wasn't general manager for a long time, which some people probably go, thank God, but other people go, that's too bad. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I, uh, but so much stuff I, I find revolves around that period. I remember this so vividly, the 1988 draft. Um, we took Scott Pearson in the first round, and this, this, is, this was where I was general manager, and I knew part of the deal was John Brophy was my coach. That when I say was stuck with, I don't say that with any animosity. It just was a reality. I, I really like both a lot, but I knew there were going to be challenges. So we wanted to get some physical players. And the guy we targeted in the second round was a guy who was not even ranked by Central Scouting in the top three rounds, a guy named Ty Domi from Peterborough, who'd been playing in the playoffs really well with Mike Ricci, and his stock was rising. And, you know, we thought some, some of our scouts thought it was too early to take him, but we're glad we did because we heard one other team would have liked Detroit. But the missing link... Oh my God, the missing link. So I got to I mean, he was just legendary. He was, he was, I hate using the word goon, but he was that for that time in, 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 in junior hockey lore, the missing link. And I got to tell you, because Brof's obsession with, you know, physicality. So we draft Domi 
And Brof was happy, but he wasn't happy about Domi's size. And then he says to me, we got we got to get that Link Gates guy, whatever. <laughs> whatever. And, and we weren't going to, but we didn't take it. Thank God in the third round. And you remember what you said, Lou Nanny had a, uh, a great quote about, you know, going from Mike Medano to, to Link Gates yeah. and then where he goes next. Yeah, th- this the quote is uh, this is from the great Lou Nanny, and it's, I drafted Mike Medano in the first round to protect our franchise. I drafted Link Gates in the second round to protect Mike Medano. I should have drafted a lawyer in the third round to protect Link Gates. <laughs> Louie always had the, had the great quotes, but yeah, I mean, the missing link. And I mean, these players just don't exist like that anymore. And, you know, to his credit, he did whatever it took at the time to get to the NHL, but he had a larger than life persona. That's for sure. So in the, in the brief time he spent in the NHL, like he only played 65 games or whatever it was. And, and in the, the season he played in San Jose, he had, I think it was 325 minutes in just over 40 games. Like he would have shattered Dave Schultz's penalty minute record, single season penalty minute record. And like by a hundred minutes or something like that, it was absolutely insane. And Dave Schultz had a lot of penalty minutes that the season he set the record last time I checked. So here's a, here's a list of things that Link Gates had gotten himself into. So um, while he was playing in the LNAH, and that was the league that was profiled in a documentary um, a few years ago, he, and this is my favorite, um, he took off his skates and his jersey in the intermission, went to the concession stand to purchase and eat a hamburger, and the team thought it was disrespectful, so they sp- suspended him for the remainder of the season. He, he also spent time in jail for carrying a firearm without a permit and disorderly conduct after he shot out a stained glass window because he was aiming for a bell at a church. Um, he smashed a TV and threw it out the fourth floor window in Peoria while playing for Kalamazoo. He scrapped with longtime NHL tough guy and then coach Nick Fatiu in a living room after it was said that he was holding his teammates hostage, not with a weapon or anything, just by being Link Gates. And Nick Fatiu said, okay, like it's time to, it's time to wrap this up. He took the bottle away and they scrapped in the middle of the living room. Um, he was tossed in jail for a brawl. And then when the bail was set at $10,000, he got annoyed with the judge and said, why don't you make it a hundred thousand dollars with an expletive at the end to which the judge proceeded to do so. And he spent another 10 days in jail. And then there's, there's a couple more here. And I know I'm going through a laundry list, but these are incredible. He beat up a guy so bad that a local who saw the victim said it looked like he was wearing a Halloween mask. Um, And through all his troubles, with all of that, with the tough guy demeanor, the one thing that was said about Link Gates was he always had time to sign autographs for kids. That maybe didn't want to do interviews, but always had time for kids. And a serious motorcycle accident during his time in San Jose, he lost a step. And and from the people that I spoke to, he could have been a a very good defenseman. He had a good skill set, heavy shot. And some compared him, uh, a player and a coach, compared him to Darian Hatcher. And the one way that it was described to me, Link Gates was the Bronco that could never be tamed. Wow. You know, any idea what he's uh, like? Is he still alive? Do we know? As far as I know, he is. I don't know where he currently resides. I don't know what he's doing. But when we talk, talk about a guy who didn't have a long NHL career, not long at all, but the impact in hockey lore that Link Gates has is absolutely astounding. Yeah, no, it is. It's uh, like, you know, and again, this is pre-social media, pre a lot of stuff. So it, it takes a lot to get that kind of cachet. And, you know, you smile at a lot of things you do, but when he, you know, beats someone up like that, that's obviously when you, when you don't say the least and, and that, but it's, um, it's, it, it's a better world that the culture isn't like that. I still like seeing colorful personalities and that that's always welcome in the game, but yeah, the missing link. Wow, you picked a good one in that today, Matt. Yeah, and if anybody wants to send in, it's jmshow at sportsnet.ca. jmshow at sportsnet.ca, and we'll try and get those on the air. Okay, so you talked about, let's let's we can move on now. We talked about, uh, you mentioned social media there, and thank God Link Gates uh, wasn't playing during the social media time. But there's another thing that happened, and I'm not sure if it overlapped with your time with the Rangers, but... Do you recall Bernie Nichols being traded during the skills competition at the All-Star game? Yeah, I was, I was working with the Rangers. Okay, so, so you were. That's point, what I, was I thought. assistant general manager. That's yeah, what I and, thought. Uh, All-Star weekend, Bernie Nichols for uh, Thomas Sanser and Tony Granato. And, you know, really, it probably ended up being a better trade for the Los Angeles Kings. That's not a slight on Bernie, but he'd had his 
60 goals in, in L.A. Sandstrom was a really, really under, I think, uh, undervalued player about his skills. And, and Granada was, was Tony Granada. We know what he's all about. But, yeah, it was in Pittsburgh. Actually, the same weekend that Bob Goodenow got named executive director as the NHL Players Association that All-Star weekend, which was a surprise. He wasn't the front-running name. And here we are all these years later, the NHLPA right now doing a, a search for someone to replace Don Fear. But, yeah, that trade was done. Um, I, I rem- yeah, remember the whole thing. It was, uh, it, it, was do- it was done at the Hyatt Hotel in Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, it had been talked about before, but was consummated then. And I know from then on, it's kind of, or shortly thereafter, it's kind of frowned upon making deals over the All-Star weekend. Well, I, uh, the, the first thought in my head was, could you imagine if that happened? Like, it would never happen. But could you imagine if it happened, you know, during social media? Like, Bernie Nichols said that he was told by Mike Vernon that he got traded. So he didn't even find out from the team or whatever that he had gotten dealt. But could you imagine, like, these players, especially during the skills competition, they have their phones with them, so a message comes through. Could you imagine that reaction if a player is traded in the middle of the skills competition today? It would be absolutely wild. Oh, I know. I know. No, it's, and, and, you know, and, and it's funny. Again, it was hard getting a hold of the individual sometimes. That, that's the thing. And, you know, Joe Carter tells a great story about when he gets in that, I mean, that all-time great Blue Jay trade, Joe Carter, you know, and, and Robbie Alomar coming for Tony Fernandez and Fred McGriff. And, you know, he's playing in San Diego, and he, he signed a new contract with the Padres, whatever, and uh, he's, in a, he's in a golf tournament, some tournament. And um, uh, so when he returns the cart, the, the cart guy says something about, oh, you're with the Padres. They made a big trade today. And he goes, really? <laughs> Who? And the guy looks at his name. He goes, I think you're one of the guys. That's how he found out. You know, they've been trying to get a hold of him when he's on the course. So, but to your point about, yeah, like social media is almost off, over the top about trying to guess things. And, you know, you know what I'm getting tired of? And I'm, I'm a talking head, too. I hope I'm more than a talking head. But, you know, um, Matt Marchese may get traded from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or Matt Marchese may not get traded from the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, whatever. And I'm kind of going, well, I've, I've just spent two minutes hearing two sides of the coin. Like, like, like give, me, give me something you know, like, you know, about Matt Marchese or Bernie Nichols or whatever that, that that's kind of out there. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's um, anyway, it's like night and day. And that's, that's the way things are in 2023. And there's a lot of things that are better. I don't, I don't know about social media and a lot of things that aren't. Uh, I should have been traded a long time ago, Gord. This should not be a 2023 thing. Uh, Gord Stelling, Leafs Nation pre and post game and co-host of the morning skate on NHL Network Radio. Okay, let's focus a little bit on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And last night, not a great night for the pair of Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. And it's always it's always easy to critique after a bad performance, but it really does feel like that's not a pair that I want together when the game becomes just a little bit tougher and a little bit more physical in the playoffs. Yeah, and by the way, since we're talking Toronto, it does seem there's nothing official yet, but it does seem very very likely the NHL All-Star game will be in Toronto next year, so that'll be a very different climate, but something I'll get, to... I'll get sent there because it's not a plane ride, and it'll be cold. So yeah, just I guarantee make sure you I'll have be your, there. Make sure you have your Metro Pass renewed, that's <laughs> yeah. all, and you're all up to date with it. And uh, you'll be... Ha- so, you know, Matt, what it comes down to is, uh, again, the ups and downs of an 82-game regular season, and I... I think when all those guys, the defensemen, were injured, and the way Sandine and Lilligren and you know Giordano playing extra minutes, like uh, that, that was a huge. That was a huge save for the team. The way they played, the way they bought into a two-way style, team-oriented style of hockey, and continued to win. And you know it could have been catastrophic with, with with all of them out. And that's where you gave props to those guys. But then also, you take a bit of a breath and you play a team like the Boston Bruins, and you go, oh, okay, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, they're, they're not exactly Norris candidates quite yet. There's a lot of positives about it, but, you know, there's still steps to go before you're Charlie McAvoy or, or, or TJ Brody or someone of that ilk. And then in Samsonov as well. Again, the goaltending, it's, it's been a real positive so far, but um, they got on a tear, and no, it's not Vesna Trophy, okay? It's not Vasilevsky. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not Ottinger. It's not, it's not Sorokin right now. But, uh, and, and that's just kind of a reminder last night about that thing so the point being is if you're playing a team like boston if you're in the playoffs that yeah that can't be a defensive pair and pair with somebody else they have to be in they be proven to be up to the task about hopefully advancing hopefully moving forward and also the other thing hammers home that in a perfect world you know you're, you're adding another defenseman uh in in kyle dubas so that you, you have confidence putting in as a, a four or five in, in in the playoffs to add some depth in that regard well and and part of that is 
Like, what are they willing to part with? Because we know what physical defensemen go for at the trade deadline. Like, you almost always overpay for a defenseman at the deadline. Like, you overpay in general, but defensemen are always the ones. uh, You know, I just talked about it in the the previous segment. Ben Sherratt went for a first-round pick last year. And a third, I think. And that pick could end up being a lottery pick because Florida's not in the playoffs right now. So, like, what, what is the willingness, do you think, for this front office to add you know, a, a physical defensive, whether it be a guy like Gavrikov or, um, hey, who knows? If if Florida falls out, maybe they trade a guy like Radko Gudis. Like, what do you think the appetite is to move assets for guys like that? Yeah, well, you got, you know, you, you mentioned Gavrikov. I think that's a great example. I mean, John Klingberg's a different example, a very different kind of defenseman, but a total hired gun, right? You know, so I, I, the market's a funny animal because a lot of people think that uh, Jim Rutherford should have got more, more for Bo Horvat, but Jim Rutherford you know, assess the market. And there's obviously something going on there that if he, if it is announced that Bo Horvat has re-upped with the New York Islanders, that obviously, obviously <laughs> they knew it was for the big picture, which other teams probably weren't getting that message delivered to them. And I, um, it, it, does it end up being a buyer's or, or seller's market? And, and uh, you, you know, it's, it's almost like Florida last year wanted to go for it, felt they had to do something and, you know, went overboard with the Claude Giroux and, and the Ben Sherratt type deals and at the least did that a couple of years ago about you know you know nick felino not really being the right fit even though even though he was hurt was a big factor but really wasn't the nick felino of two three four years before and and this is where your pro scouts are huge this is where your pro scouts are huge like you know and i i've talked about mike riley going from ottawa to boston for a third round pick what was it two years ago or whatever but just being a solid guy fitting in they didn't win the stanley cup but it was you know it was the right kind of addition to get and that that's more along the lines i think the the leafs are at and then you know you don't you don't want to you shouldn't have to give up a top prospect you shouldn't have to give up a first round pick you know again when we're talking different panels and you hear like you know for chickering for example well bill armstrong's asking for this you know three pieces or four pieces that's not the price that's what he's asking for okay so you can't assume that's the price. i mean who knows who knows and um and this but uh, the key thing is the proper evaluation by your scouts and, and Tampa's done that wonderfully about Nick call Vic Paul and Hagel. And before that Coleman and Goodrow and, you know, those, those kind of add-ons that, that that's the kind uh, you're hoping if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, last night, it wasn't a, it wasn't the greatest of performances by the Leafs. I mean, Samsonov kept them in it in the first period and then he let in a couple of soft goals and that's pretty much the game, especially when you're playing a team like the Bruins. And I made the point, like some people will say, well, it's the last game before the all-star break and, you know, Austin Matthews isn't on the lineup, but it was the last game before the all-star break for the Bruins too. They could have easily folded up and said, well, you know, if we lose four in a row, it's not that big of a deal. We've, we've, you know, banked a bunch of points. Like we're making the playoffs. Don't worry about it. Um, but how much do you read into that game if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs? Again, last game before the All-Star break, and then you know they get right back into it with back-to-back games right after the break. So is there any concern there? Like the Samsonov game is probably, for me, and the, the pair of Lilligren and Sandine, probably the biggest concerns. But after that, can you really read too much into that? No, zero concern compared to the way things were the, the day before. I mean, they beat Boston earlier in the season. That didn't make me think they're going to sweep them four in the playoffs. When they, uh, when they routinely defeated the Ottawa Senators and crushed them in the playoffs decades ago, they were getting killed in the regular season, yeah. a few of those regular seasons. So, again, it's about, you know, game number, game number 83. You know, I, I do think there is something, the way the All-Star weekend has evolved, that it's not a weekend, it's basically a week. And that there is a that feeling that like it's the last week of school, which kids don't seem to go to anymore. It just seems they, they they don't even bother showing up by and large once they hit a certain age, like high school or something. And again, that's not an excuse because, like you mentioned, the Boston Bruins, or it's not an acceptable excuse. But there there does seem to be a weird vibe. There were so few games being played, and you know people very anxious to go wherever they may be going, and even difficulty getting people to fill in at late notice to come to the All Star game because they they have trips planned. So. This has changed from when it used to be a kind of a weekend and you maybe drove up to Collingwood or something for a couple of nights to uh, like, like a big, big, big vacation. And, and so I, 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 I don't totally dismiss it, but I am, no, I, it doesn't change. They, these are all 82 different games throughout, whatever. I, I'm still very bullish on the Leafs. I really do believe if they win the first round and I've, I picked them to win the cup. Okay. I did. I've never done that before, but winning the first round, I, I think could be the best thing in the world. And all of a sudden they get that kind of, that kind of confidence, who knows? I haven't changed that. 
Yeah, I listen, I, I think the way that they've played defensively this year as comparison to other seasons, it's it's a vast improvement. Um actually on that on that conversation talking about playoffs and whatever, Austin Matthews, we know he's dealing with the knee sprain. Um they're probably gonna be overcautious with him as they should. How much do you think that just, you know, like when, when the playoffs roll around, Austin Matthews, I'm assuming is, is going to be ready to go uh, both physically and mentally. And, you know, how much of the, we always talk about the regular season with this team doesn't really matter. They just got to get in and then win around. How much of that is just, okay, we're just going to keep Austin Matthews healthy. And then as long as he's ready to go for the playoffs, that's really all that matters to us right now. He's not scoring sixty yeah. goals again. He's not breaking records. So let's so, just keep keep him healthy. Yeah, yeah. Same with all the guys, right? You got the luxury that you're not battling for a playoff spot. That you don't, you know, those teams that are battling every game is a playoff game, like from game seventy onwards or something. So you're thinking differently. And you know, and I mean, we're getting into load management. We're seeing with the NBA now about you know, boy, players just plan misses of particular games, and you know that that really hurts about a star player if they're coming to your particular city. But yeah, whatever time it takes, it takes just uh, to be 100% healthy. And that uh, that goes for everybody on the Leafs right now. Uh, Gord Stelic, Leafs Nation pre- and post-game host and uh, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, we've gone like 20 minutes, and we haven't talked about Michael Bunting and the referees yet. So we've, we definitely are going to get to that here because last night, I mean, that was as big a tantrum as I've seen a player throw on a bench to the point where... Like, I thought he was going to start crying from anger. And I understand that Michael Bunting draws a lot of penalties. Some are deserved, some are not. Last night, he gets the stick in the face. There was another one, I can't, it may have been against Detroit, where he got absolutely clubbed in the head and nothing happened. At what point do we need to start having the conversation, or maybe, maybe it's now, about Michael Bunting's reputation with referees and showing them up, and if this is going to be a problem going forward? Well, I would think there's, um, uh, there's supposed to be a constant monitoring of, of the officials. Like they're, they're, really, they're watched quite a bit as well. They have supervisors and, who go over different things. So first, you know, and we know all the elements that for a, a little while, you're kind of a surprise that it creeps up. You go, hey, that's really cool. Michael Bunting's up there drawing penalties in the league, right? And then you see a couple that are marginal that he draws. We all kind of smile and that. And, well, then the referees start taking notice. And... Uh, and all of a sudden, you, you don't start getting those kind of breaks. And he's also been a little vocal at times. And, and that, can, that can rub the referees the wrong way. And, and hey, they share the information, right? They, you know, about whether, you know, you got to be careful you don't verbalize it like Tim Peel did the one time. But just about, you know, I don't know, this, this guy's uh, diving, this guy's whatever. But I think in Bunting's case, it should never, ever, ever, ever cross the line about something that could cause an injury, something in, involving a stick that's a whole different matter. And then, and, and that's got to be, be called. So I don't know, you know, whether they felt they saw it differently. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't say, okay, it's Michael Bunting. He deserves a club to the head. But then, you know, in his case, he's kind of saying like, okay, you know what? Uh, okay. You're, 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 I, I realize you guys have been, been now hard on me about uh, penalties. I used to get called and get away with and, but this is different. So yeah, I, I, I just would have to think that, um, being reviewed, that would be a part of the game, I think, would be reviewed with the officials. And also, that's where it's Kyle Dubas or someone, you can have a healthy conversation with somebody at the NHL office about that. They don't mind healthy conversations. They deal with people calling and yelling and screaming, mostly late at nights about a game. But if you have a healthy, constructive conversation, that's well worth it. Is that, in, in that respect, like we saw Paul Maurice take a fine for for what he said about the officials uh, after the game of Florida and Toronto. Is that something, and you just talked about having a healthy conversation, but you know, Florida ended up getting a bunch of power plays the next game that they play. Is that worth it in your mind for a coach to just take one on the chin and take a fine? Um, well, if you do it well, you should never really have to take the fine. Okay. Well, and Paul Maurice tried to do it well, but I think, yeah, I think just like, there's certain moments that you um, can can tear a strip out of your team verbally, but you can't do that too often. Can't go to the well too often. That you know, it's funny complaining like like complaining about the officiating is uh, teams that win championships don't complain about the officiating. You know, it, it it tends to even out over the course of the season. I, I don't think there's officials that have made it to that level that are saying, okay, I don't like the Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't like the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't like 
I don't like Sheldon Keefe. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't really think so. And just like good games, bad games, um, there, there, there's a human side to it, but also post game, there's that emotional side. And uh, Bruce Boudreau always kidding about it. It's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of money. I know you make a lot of money now, but it used to be an accepted part of the game. And that's something it's the whole, it's the whole world now, not accepting things that are now considered abusive that, you know, decades ago weren't, whether it's by, you know, teachers or uh, minor league coaches or, you know, whatever it may be, it's just not accepted. And that's something the officials stood up for whatever number of years about. And it's, it's basically a zero tolerance. As someone who is on officials all the time as a player and as a coach myself, um, I get it. I understand what you're saying, but I'm certainly on the opposite end of the spectrum when it turns of someone who, uh, who is very easy on referees. That was not me. Um, speaking of uh, not very easy, trying to figure out what the heck this team is going to do with their fourth line has been, uh, has been a New York Times crossword puzzle. It's in and out with different guys. It's Wayne Simmons one night. It's Zach Aston Reese another night. Last night they played together. Then you throw in Joey Anderson. Like It is, it is a mess. Do you believe that that filling out that bottom six is a high priority for this group? Or do you think they're still trying to figure out internally what they have and, and that's what they're going to go with? Um, yeah, I don't know about a mess, but I think they're still trying to figure out, which is really what you don't want to be doing this late in the season. Um, particularly the third line, you got to get figured out. You know, your fourth line, you could have different components. I think yeah, I, I compare if the Leafs are to have a Stanley Cup run to what St. Louis did a few years ago, and they had like 15 forwards, right? And you remember that Craig Berube every now and then would interject the guy for a game or two, and it was kind of the right guy? And that would be in a perfect world if that's what the Leafs are doing and they have a few different spices, and Sheldon Keefe does that versus we're not really sure who does what and where they all fit in. And there's a, there's, there's a little bit too much of that going on right now. Uh, to my liking. So, you know, uh, it was Dennis Mulgan early on that he was going to be a guy somewhere. He's not. And then we've seen, you know, glimmers from a lot of guys, but not, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of staying power and bite. So it, it is, um, it continues to be a project in progress. Um, focusing our attention on Mitch Marner last night, he, he gets point number 60, a, a nice shot to beat Linus Allmark. And that's seven straight seasons with 60 or more points. Um, you know, you look back on his 2019-2020 season, it was cut short. Uh, same with 2021. Um, you know, all this guy has done is put up points, and, and he's... I feel like over the past couple of seasons, we've seen a little bit more of a... I don't want to say he was immature before, but a more mature Mitch Marner and a player that it's shocking that people wanted out of town. Despite the playoff... Uh, or lack of playoff success, he's been as good as anybody in the league over the last four years in terms of point production and one of the most creative players. And yet, you know, sometimes people talk about him and go, well, you know, I still want a little bit more. I don't know what else you want from a guy that had 97 points last year and had he played a full season would have put up well over a hundred and he's on pace to, to do close to that again this year. Okay, Matt. Matt, we talked about social media earlier, the start of our conversation. It's a bad place. No, nobody wanted Mitch Marner out of town. Nobody wanted Mitch Marner out of town. And when Kyle Dubas addressed the social media comments that had pissed him off, fans were pissed off about that series against Columbus and against Montreal. That's what they were pissed off about. The players should be pissed off how it went. They were pissed off about everything. Nobody wanted him out of town. And this, is, this, and this has been allowed to grow because it's the old thing, don't repeat the charge. Then people think it's true. And they were the ones on the Leafs side, in my opinion, that were repeating the charge constantly. Everyone loves Mitch Marner. He's a first-team all-star. He's, 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 he's a joy to watch. He's fantastic. You know, and, and, but he wants playoff success like Austin Matthews does, like Tavares does, like Nylander does, like we do, if you're following the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so, anyway, like I, I agree about the, the maturing part if that's the right word, but I agree. I think for all of them, you just, and, and he really seems to want to embrace being a leader on the team, uh, being public about that. I don't know how it works internally. I, I hope he is. I, I think the leadership groups made some strides there based on how they played with all those guys out with, you know, through adversity this year. So yeah, I, I again, uh, I just sit back, enjoy them, uh, hope they can enjoy all enjoy some playoff success at some point, but nobody ever wanted him out of town. First, I can't do any better than first team all-star. 
And that's what he's been the last couple of years. And the one, the one thing that we have seen, especially over the course of, you know, last season specifically, but into this season, the, the goal scoring ability, not that he was ever not a goal scorer because he certainly was that in junior, but when he got to the NHL, you know, he became a pass first guy. He's, he's eclipsed the 20 goal plateau, uh, four times in his career, and he's going to do it again this year, barring something crazy. Last year, 35 goals. I think that's been, for me, like because I always thought he was defensively responsible. Of course, he's a great passer, but his ability to score goals has taken him, I think, to another tier of player that I don't, that maybe some people didn't expect at this level. Yeah, I think uh, Nylander, same thing a bit. Just shoot a bit more, right? Just shoot a bit more yeah. because the book on him was uh, after a while that he's passed first. So teams were then they get start get surprised where he takes shots where he never used to. So I think I think that's uh, another level to uh, I agree with you help help take it you know to another tier regarding getting more goals. Uh, just one quick one before I let you go here, uh, William Nylander, second on the team in points. Um, I mean, probably an all star, but that's you know all star snubs, whatever. I'm sure Willie is fine to just go on vacation, but. Have you noticed a, a big change in his game? I thought he was, for the most part, a really, really key piece last year against Tampa. He had that one game where he was just horrible. Um, and then I saw him at the World Championships, and he felt like he had a different kind of edge to his game. And this season, that's come full force. He's got 59 points in, in 52 games, 28 goals. I mean, when we talk about X-Factors with this team in the playoffs, that same William Nylander that we've seen for the majority of this season – may end up being the biggest difference from teams of years past. And Matt, what did we talk about years past? Streaky, right? Streaky. Yeah. He hasn't been the case. He's only had one streak this year pretty well. It's all been positive. And, 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 that's, and that's a big change. And, you know, regarding the All-Star game, uh, it's, it's kind of like I, nobody really wants to go when they're a late add-on. That, to our point earlier, like they got everything. I'm, I'm sure uh, early on, if you get picked, you, you plan for it. So, and Barkov's the appropriate guy to add here because, you know, they – they kind of need it. They need that yeah. player there. They need to promote the game in that. But I think that's a big thing I've noticed is that is that consistency that he's had. And you're right about the world championships and that. Like, you know, good on him. Whatever it was that, you know, and Sheldon Keith, who knows him super well, you know, mentioned that early in the season. He goes, you know what, Willie, Willie's, there, there's a place to get where Mitch and Austin are. And Willie's got a lot closer there. He certainly has. Uh, Gordo, you spent a lot of time with me. I appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the sun. Well, I think the love boat's just docking here. I'm going to check the Lido deck out and get a get a beverage maybe and uh, send you a selfie, okay? Yeah, I I'll, I will be awaiting your text message, George. Uh, Gord, thank you very much. Okay, buddy. Take care. There he goes. Gord Stelic, Leafs Nation pre- and post-game and co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. When we come back, what's going on in Vegas? Jack Eichel's struggling. Now Mark Stone is out indefinitely after back surgery. Have the Vegas Golden Knights become the most interesting team ahead of the NHL's trade deadline? Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick as the the trip around the sunny destinations continues on this show as we head to Las Vegas. Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And and Ben, I mean, all-star break and everybody, it's it looks quiet. And then, oh, hey, Mark Stone is out indefinitely with back surgery. I'm sure that's how you wanted to spend, uh, spend your all-star break. Yeah, absolutely. They kind of lulled me into a false sense of security there. I even had uh, tickets to go see a show last night uh, when they were gifted to me for Christmas. I was like, hey, it's the bye week. Of course it'll work. What could happen? And, uh, of course, the Knights decided that that's the time to uh, drop an important uh, bit of news last night, the fact that their captain is going to be out indefinitely. Uh, Perfect timing all the way around. Okay, so I have to ask what show it was. Moulin Rouge the musical is not bad. It's, uh, you know, touring around the, the country here in the United States. Won the uh, Tonys for Best Musical a couple of years ago. Very good. Still made it uh, on time. But uh, my wife and I had to delay the dinner plans before the show a little bit. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, Vegas Golden Knights. Okay, so so Mark Stone uh, back surgery. It's the second one in less than a year. And, you know, I discussed it earlier on the show with Elliot Freeman. Like, the question that I have, like, yes, what the roster construction looks like, you know, with him on LTIR is one thing. But is there a concern about Mark Stone, the player, after another back surgery here? Oh, of course. And I think there has to be, especially as you mentioned, that these have come in quick succession. It's been about nine months. He had his previous one, uh, which was a lumbar discectomy. It fixes a disc in the lower back. I believe it was May 19th. So the fact that he's already having issues again uh, is not a good sign. I think it has to be really disappointing for uh, Mark Stone, not only the player, of course, but, you know, the person as well. This is a guy who fought really hard to get back on the ice the first day of training camp, to be available for the Knights on opening night, knowing he missed so much time last year. And, I mean, I talked to him. It's kind of the halfway point in the season. And at that point, he was still pretty enthusiastic about how the surgery had worked, how he was feeling, how his body was doing. He thought the Knights actually had a pretty difficult first half of the season schedule-wise in terms of they were top of the NHL in games played. They had a lot of travel. They made two trips out east and he was like hey my back's kind of held up through all of this so he was encouraged at that point and then of course uh, not too many games later against the florida panthers he doesn't even make it through uh, the first period in what appeared to be kind of a non-contact issue where there wasn't really you know a hard hit to the boards or anything like that that caused him to skate off uh, back to the locker room it just appeared to be kind of a non-contact issue and so uh, obviously i think it has to be frustrating and there's going to be a lot of now questions moving forward about how he you know, moves on from two surgeries on his back in quick succession and if he's going to get back to the player that he was before. That, to his credit, he did appear to be back to that for the most part this year. I don't think his play really suffered all that much after the first surgery. We'll see if that holds up after a second one. So, and I, this may be impossible to answer, but do you believe that there is a chance that he is back for the playoffs? Do I believe there's a chance? I absolutely think that there will be a chance. If I know, you know, Mark Stone as well as anyone covering um, him can really know. He's so competitive. He cares so much about this team and about winning. He's going to try, right? Like now, whether that's physically going to be possible, and I think it's way too early to say. I'm sure not even you know the Knights and Mark Stone's doctor really knows right away because backs are tricky, and I think putting firm timelines on these things is always tricky. And I think the Knights obviously learned that last year when he went out of the lineup for extended stretches three different times and his kind of timetable to return was different each of those three different times. So I'm sure it's going to be a couple days uh, after the recovery period until they probably get a better handle on what this is going to look like. I'm sure in his mind right now, and obviously they're probably hoping he's going to be able to come back, that he would be able to make a return at least by the playoffs. But I think it's probably way too soon for anyone to say that with any sort of confidence right now. And we'll just have to see how it plays out a little bit here. Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So I, I said this earlier and I, and I honestly like I've had a couple of people text me and say, oh, cue the headlines that um, Vegas is going to be interested in every big name. But honestly, like. Why shouldn't we believe that that should be the headline? Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee are not afraid to go out and make a splash. They signed Alex Petrangelo. They brought in Jack Eichel. Like they've done, they have made moves and they are not afraid to make moves, especially when it involves stars. They're going to have some cap flexibility here. I don't listen. I I think that there's got to be, there's got to be something to get Jack Eichel going here. Like not playing with Mark Stone has obviously hurt him a bit. Do you think that becomes priority number one here? And is it, are they going uh, big, big fish hunting here? Or are they going to go maybe swim in a smaller pool and add multiple pieces to go around what they have already? Or do you think the big fish is what they're looking for now? Well, that's going to be the big question, right? Is does Mark Stone getting hurt and that long-term injury reserve cap space kind of potentially opening up, does that change the calculus a little bit? Because I think everyone expected that they are going to add at this deadline, that they are going to add scoring help for sure because they've kind of struggled with depth scoring a lot of this year, though lately it's been those top-end guys not scoring, like you mentioned, 
um, Jack Eichel. So does this change that probability a little bit? I think it does, and I think we are going to see them potentially look more toward the top of the market because, I mean, listen, this is a team that missed the playoffs last year, and I think missing the playoffs two years in a row, which is a real possibility for this franchise right now. They are third in the Pacific Division standings today, but Edmonton's hot on their trail. Calgary is uh, five points back but has a game in hand. This is not a very secure kind of spot they're in right now, especially given how they were playing before the All-Star break. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if we hear them connected to, yes, guys like Patrick Kane, guys like Timo Meyer. Uh, the thing that's going to be interesting specifically in Patrick Kane's case because he has a no-move clause is if the Knights continue to struggle into February, do they even become a team that you know Patrick Kane is willing to waive his no-move clause for if they kind of fall further in the standings and don't appear to be the Stanley Cup contender that they sure looked like they were going to be when they sprinted out of the gates with that 13-2 and record. It's been much more middling results since then. Lately, the results have just been bad, so we'll have to see how this team continues to fare leading up into the deadline because I think there's a real you know, possibility that right now I think they absolutely do want to add, but we'll see whether they're still even in a position to be talking about it in about a month given what their form was like the last eight games after Stone got hurt. The pipeline isn't, it's not bare, but it's certainly not uh, a full cupboard like it used to be. And and I just wonder what the willingness is to part with more assets to make a big move. Like Bill Foley is not, he's, he wants to win a Stanley Cup. We are very well aware of that. And they are willing to sacrifice relationships. They're willing to sacrifice um, maybe some pushback from the fan base for trading certain players or or moving on from certain players. But do you believe that there is enough in the cupboard to go out and make a big splash? I think there is just because they haven't, especially last trade deadline, they did not give away a ton of assets. So they still have a bunch of currency to work with if they're willing to part with it. And like I said, I think the kind of more existential question for them moving forward is going to be, yes, I think they're going to want to add. Yes, I think there's a possibility they'll explore some big moves. But if they continue to kind of backslide a little bit the next month or so, are they going to determine whether it's worth giving up, you know, for instance, their first-round pick this year, which they still have. They have all of their first-round picks moving forward. They don't have their uh, second-round pick this year, but they have two-thirds, and they have their second-round picks moving forward. So they have assets to potentially go through. They do have some prospects that they could potentially look to deal, though I don't know how much of an appetite that's going to be there compared to their draft picks. So like it's going to be enough available. I think that they're going to be able to get stuff done if they want to get stuff done. Uh, sure. As you mentioned, Bill Foley is willing to be aggressive if he thinks that's the right thing to do. I mean, we even just saw recently in a completely different sport in the uh, English premier league where uh, his new team Bournemouth was one of the big spenders, this uh, transfer window because he wants to keep them up and not have them get bounced down to the second tier of uh, English soccer. So he's willing to invest and he's willing to push his chips in if he feels it's the right thing to do. Uh, I'm curious if in a month from now, the Knights are still going to be debating whether it's the right thing to do. Like I said, given their kind of precarious nature in the standings and look, if they come out of the all-star break healthy, uh, just without Mark Stone, which is a very strong possibility that they're going to have their entire opening night, night line in the back for the first time in months, just minus Mark Stone, they go on a run, then I would expect that they might be willing to part with these assets. But I think it'll be interesting to see which direction this team's play kind of trends once we get back. Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal here on the Jeff Merrick Show, Matt Marchese hosting. And, and so you talk about the precarious spot that they are in in the standings. And, you know, I, I wonder about the heat on George McPhee and on Kelly McCrimmon, because I don't necessarily think that it's warranted because when you look at, especially last season, like they had the injuries that mounted were absolutely insane. Uh, They lost Robin Lehner late in the year and and Logan Thompson kind of carried the mail. They don't have Lehner for this season. They lose Mark Stone again. They, they, you know, Alex Petrangelo missed a little bit of time this year, not for injury, but for personal reasons, like this is, it's not like this team has had good luck necessarily with injuries and, and with other situations. But having said all that, does that matter 
when it when you talk about the future of George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon in Vegas, because I mean, yes, they've had success, and I don't think that the lack of success is because of moves that they've made. Just the luck of the draw. Like, it, do you think there's some heat that's starting to mount on both of them? I think they're definitely going to be feeling the pressure if it looks like they're not going to make the playoffs for a second straight season. I mean, I think you know there could be some level of patience or understanding. If this group holds on to their playoff spot, gets into a play or spirited playoff series with against, you know, Edmonton or LA or something like that, which is a playoff series that I think they would still very much have a chance to win. And maybe they win around, maybe they don't, maybe they fight really hard and just come up short. I think that there's a level of expectation that that might be enough given the fact that they were operating without Robin Leonard all year, given the fact that they lost Mark Stone a little bit more than halfway through. But I do think a second straight, you know, playoff list year is going to be really hard for Bill Foley to stomach. And yes, as you mentioned, they had a lot of things go wrong last year, things that I don't think was even fair for them to kind of predict or project were going to go wrong, given that Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty missed more than half the year. Alec Martinez missed about two-thirds of the year. Riley Smith missed about a third of the year. There's so many key guys that were out for an extended uh, stretch of time, and that really doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Um, This year, they still had things go wrong, but it's been smaller stuff. Robin Leonard, of course, is going to miss the entire year, but they were able to pivot you know, before the year started where they got Aiden Hill and they got Phil Castle to kind of use up that extra cap space they had. Like I said, outside of Mark Stone, they're going to come back after the All-Star break, probably healthy everywhere else in terms of their opening night lineup. So, you know, you would think that's still going to be a group that is going to be able to make a push, to be able to make something happen, or at least should be able to make something happen. Whether they will, will probably be what ultimately we're talking about at the end of the year in terms of how secure those seats should be in the front office because certainly Mark Stone is a huge part of this team. Losing him is an extremely difficult blow for this group. Uh, Should it send the night season kind of completely off the rails as it seemed it was gunning toward when Stone left the lineup uh, before the All-Star break? Probably not. And so that's what I think is going to be interesting to see how the rest of the roster they've assembled recovers here moving forward because that ultimately may determine what direction this franchise goes in. I uh, I got about a minute and a half here for you. So Jack Eichel, the struggles have been very well documented. He's even called out by his coach. Um, how much of how much of what's going on is just you know the the it's Jack Eichel and and not having a running mate here and especially because you know they wanted him to play with Mark Stone and now that's not going to happen. How much do you think of their plans? Is we need to get Jack Eichel a running mate here? I'm sure that's part of it, but they've tried a lot of different guys to get Eichel going, and not a lot of them have seemed to stick lately. Bruce Cassidy has really been juggling lines, trying to find a spark, trying to find a way to get not just Eichel, but the entire, you know, top six going. Because without Mark Stone, obviously Eichel is in a huge slump. No goals, one assist his last eight games. That's obviously just not good enough. But Chandler Stevenson, who we've got names to the All-Star game, is in a major goal slump. Jonathan Marshall is in a goal slump. Riley Smith in a 12-game goal slump. So it's not just Eichel that's failing to kind of step up here. It's a lot of their top guys. So I think getting Jack Eichel a running mate is definitely something that they could be looking for at the trade deadline. I just think in general, they need to find accommodations in their top six as a whole that makes sense and can be productive with Mark Stone out because they've really failed to do that to this point where they've tried putting Chandler Stevens and Jack Eichel, William Carlson on separate lines, had them each lead a group. They've tried putting some of them together to see if that can work and supercharging maybe some of those top six lines so far lately it just hasn't stuck a lot. So I expect to see a lot more experimentation moving forward to get Eichel and those, all those top six guys in the right spots for them. I don't think they've found what that is yet, uh, but certainly getting Eichel help at the deadline, I think could be a major boost as well, just to get him someone new to have chemistry with, because right now there isn't a lot that's going right in this game. Well, there's one thing that we can say. It's never a dull moment in Vegas, whether on the strip or at the hockey arena. Ben, thanks so much for for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me.
There he goes. Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal. And, you know, we, we had a, it was a long conversation that we didn't even get to Chandler Stevenson who replaced Matty Beneers uh, in the Pacific division for the all-star game. Chandler Stevenson's having a really nice year, 11 goals, 33 assists, 44 points. He's a plus six. And he's like, they got Chandler Stevenson for a fifth round pick from Washington. Talk about, you know, we talked about the big deals that, that this front office has made, but one of the really underrated moves was Chandler Stevenson because he can play up and down your lineup. He he can play center. He can play the wing. He's been a really, really solid contributor for the Vegas Golden Knights. And we'll see what happens. Like I said, for my money, the Vegas Golden Knights might be the most interesting team as we head down the stretch here. And, and if they don't make the playoffs, what kind of a conversation are we having then? be interesting uh thank you to everyone that joined the show today elliot freeman who normally kicks off the show early on and we also had uh george richards from florida hockey now talking about the panthers the all-star game gord stelic leafs nation pre and post game as well as the co-host on the morning skate on nhl network radio ben goats was just my guest you just heard him from the las vegas review journal for everybody behind the glass lance kennedy for frank baraska thank you very much for joining me matt marchese on the jeff merrick show i will be back tomorrow for our last episode before all-star weekend kicks off thanks for listening on the sportsnet radio network and watching on sportsnet 360 and sportsnet now